Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Tonight on Revolt Black News Weekly, justice for Tyree. Will the EMTs who did nothing to help Tyree Nichols as he lay dying be held accountable? And his mother now steps into the fight for justice with a new lawsuit. Imagine seeing someone in pain and you choose to do absolutely nothing. And artificial intelligence or AI. Why concern is growing over racial bias and what's really behind the black code of technology? Somebody could take my voice and admit to a crime. And a high value message. Kevin Samuels has been gone for a year, but his views continue trending. Was he about uplifting black men or tearing down black women? We take a look at his legacy from all sides. I really just wanted some advice. I love you. I'm giving you I'm giving you advice, but you're not taking it. The advice is, ma'am, ma'am, you're average looking at best. Plus, Met Gala Madness on fashion's biggest night. From Naomi and Usher to Cardi B's hip hop takeover on the Met Gala carpet. We're talking about the erasure of, of millions of people. Royal racism. Why everybody ain't so excited for the coronation of King Charles III. All that and more as the Black News Revolution starts right now. Welcome to the show, everyone. I'm Mara S. Campo. We begin tonight with an investigation into three former Memphis Fire Department employees. They responded to the scene the night that Tyree Nichols was brutally beaten by five cops. Those now fired fire department workers stood by and did nothing, even though Nichols clearly needed medical attention. Also, Tyree's mother has now filed a lawsuit against the city of Memphis, the police department, and each of those five cops. Tonight, we investigate who should pay for Tyree Nichols' death. We announced a $500 million landmark lawsuit against the Memphis Police Department in the city of Memphis. It is our mission to make it financially unsustainable for these police oppression units to unjustly kill black people. Last month, attorney Ben Crump and the family of Tyree Nichols announced a civil lawsuit against the city of Memphis and the five police officers involved in his brutal beating in January. 29-year-old Tyree Nichols died three days later from his injuries. Former Memphis officers Tadarius Bean, Demetrius Holly, Desmond Mills Jr., Emmett Martin III, and Justin Smith are all charged with second-degree murder in Nichols' death. All five have pleaded not guilty, and all five have been fired and decertified. The civil suit blames the five Memphis police officers for Tyree's death and accuses officials of allowing the now infamous Scorpion unit's aggressive behavior to go unchecked despite several prior complaints. Also named in the civil suit is Memphis Police Chief Sarahlyn C.J. Davis, who launched the now disbanded Scorpion unit. The suit claims that the Scorpion unit used extreme intimidation, humiliation, and violence, and disproportionately focused on and targeted young black men. 
A sixth officer on the scene is also named Preston Hemphill. He's been fired, but not criminally charged. Hemphill initially claimed Tyree was stopped for reckless driving and said that he was fighting with officers and at one point tried to grab his partner's gun. Video evidence shows this never happened, and he later told investigators he didn't actually see Nichols driving recklessly. A 2021 performance evaluation showed Hemphill's supervisor noted that his judgment needed improvement. A seventh officer by the name of Dwayne Smith retired before he could be fired. Like Officer Hemphill, he is not being criminally charged. Now, there's also some of my counterparts who are getting caught abusing black and brown people who are leaving to preserve the future for their pension. Because if they can get out with their pension intact before they're convicted of a crime, they still get to collect their pension in jail. With all the attention on the police officers, very little focus has been on the EMTs who were called to the scene to provide Tyree desperately needed medical assistance. Imagine seeing someone in pain, seeing someone hurt, seeing someone who's not responding to your communications, seeing someone who can't continue to sit straight up, seeing someone who continues to fall over for 19 minutes and you choose to do absolutely nothing, nothing. The last three names listed on the defendants list are the Memphis Fire Department employees who were called on the scene for a quote, pepper spray injury. Robert Long, Jamichael Sandridge, and Michelle Whitaker. Long and Sandridge were the two EMTs seen in this footage from an elevated pole camera. Both were fired and had their licenses suspended. Lieutenant Whitaker never got out of the fire truck. She's been fired as well. So you had two EMTs who were on site who were supposed to be providing this care. One was the basic EMT, this was Mr. Long. The other was the advanced EMT, and this was Mr. Sandridge. So you're looking to this advanced person to be able to say, hey, basic EMT, don't forget during this preliminary examination, you need to check for vital signs. None of that happened. During the hearing, one of the things that was the theme or the legal theory for Mr. Long's team, basic EMT, who was providing the care that he really didn't provide, was that the Memphis police officers were impeding his care, his ability to do that. It just didn't hold up. His own expert did not agree with him on that. In your opinion, did the Memphis Police Department impede care or access to the patient? No, sir. The board voted unanimously to uphold the suspensions of Long and Sandridge, but Tyree's case is not an anomaly. George Floyd. While Derek Chauvin kneeled on Floyd's neck for nine and a half minutes, an off-duty EMT pleaded with the officers to give Floyd medical assistance. Her requests were denied by Officer Toe Tao, and when the responding EMT did arrive, Derek Chauvin remained kneeled on Floyd's neck as his pulse was taken. George Floyd was already dead. Last month, an appeals court upheld Derek Chauvin's conviction. He's expected to spend more than two decades in prison. Tao, who is already serving a three and a half year federal sentence for failing to provide medical help to George Floyd, was found guilty of aiding and abetting second degree manslaughter for his role in George Floyd's death. His sentencing hearing is scheduled for August 7th. 
Larry Nichols was just a few feet from his home when he was beaten so badly that he was, quote, left unrecognizable. His death ruled a homicide after the medical examiner's office autopsy report revealed that he died from brain injuries due to blunt force trauma, the lawsuit comparing his case to that of Emmett Till. Now it's my turn mm -hmm. right to make sure that my son's death does not go in vain. The legal team representing Tyree's mother, Rovan Wells, says the lawsuit is asking for $550 million because it symbolizes the 55 years since Martin Luther King Jr. was killed in Memphis. This has nothing to do with the monetary value of this lawsuit, but everything with, that has to do with accountability. Amen. Those five police officers murdered my son. They beat him to death, and they need to be held accountable along with everyone else that has something to do with my son's murder. The Memphis Five were scheduled to appear in court on May 1st. A judge moved that hearing to June. The district attorney there says they're also considering more possible cases involving the Scorpion unit as more people keep coming forward with stories of misconduct. We're going to stay on this story. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. Bada -ba -ba -ba. At participating McDonald's. Artificial intelligence, or AI, whether you know it or not, it's already a part of your life, telling you what to watch on a streaming service or what to buy on social media. And it's only going to get bigger and become more prevalent in every aspect of our lives. But there's growing concern that artificial intelligence might have some racial bias built into it because, after all, it's created by humans and it reflects our own beliefs and views. Well, now we have some exclusive new insight into that. Revolt Black News partnered with Advanced Democracy, a nonprofit research organization, as we investigate the Black Code, AI's race dilemma. I was optimized for efficiency. Artificial intelligence. It's not just for picking the perfect playlist. Hey, Max, what's going on? I'm X, and from this moment on, I'm going to be your own personal AI DJ on Spotify. Let's go. There's been a sudden rise in AI's ability to think and act like humans. ChatGPT can instantly and accurately write like us. And now AI can even sound like us. A song that uses artificial intelligence to copy the voices of Drake and The Weeknd has gone viral. The AI-generated song Heart on My Sleeve from anonymous TikTok user Ghostwriter977 racked up over 11 million views before the record companies took it down. But fake AI audio can also be much worse. There's a new AI scam that you need to be aware of, and it's absolutely terrifying. People are using AIs to pretend to kidnap you and then call your parents and demand money. Somebody could take my voice and admit to a crime. 
But AI's true power is how it's being integrated into things like job searches, finance, healthcare, and policing. One of the big concerns, racism. Yep, from computers. The more humans share with me, the more I learn. In the simplest terms, right, is as we think about how these systems work, if you're putting in biased data, you're getting biased results. If you're putting in imperfect data, you're likely getting imperfect results. Our exclusive new study shows just how that can work. Advanced Democracy Inc., or ADI, investigating bias in the AI art generators, Midjourney, Stable Diffusion, and Doll E2. Using the programs to generate 20 images for different search terms like criminal and thug and professions, including doctor, CEO, nurse, and janitor. Some results do seem to suggest bias. Midjourney showed mostly images of black men for thug, 75%. Stable Diffusion showed mostly images of black men for criminal, 70%. For Thug, 100% were black men, all 20 images provided by Stable Diffusion. When it comes to professions, all three generated images of mostly white people for every career. But Dolly, too, did show plenty of people of color for one job, janitor. All that data is, is human generated, right? And so again, if you're not careful, you end up training your models to simply replicate a scale the kinds of historical and, and legacy biases that, that we're all familiar with. This potential bias can have a huge impact on people's lives. The stakes are getting higher and higher in terms of what we're asking these machines to do, the tasks that we're asking them to perform in terms of outputs, in terms of recommendations, in terms of predictive analytics, in terms of supporting decisions that humans might make. And so that has led to what's increasingly been recognized as bias in AI, a lack of fairness in AI, a discriminatory AI. The company Workday, whose hiring algorithm is used by over 1,600 other companies, is being sued for allegedly discriminating against job applicants based on race. I am an invisible gatekeeper. I use data to make automated decisions about who gets hired, who gets fired, and how much you pay for insurance. And in 2019, New York's insurance regulator launched an investigation into United Health Group after a study showed its algorithm prioritized medical care for healthier white patients over sicker black patients. And then there's law enforcement. I make a show in front of your wife and kids because you are under arrest for your warrant, for your outstanding warrant. Can I see the warrant? We will show you the warrant in the car. In 2018, Detroit resident Robert Williams was arrested in front of his wife and daughter after facial recognition software incorrectly identified him as this man seen in surveillance footage stealing over $3,000 worth of watches. Right. Can I see what we're looking at? The cop gets a piece of paper and it says, there you go. larceny on it. I'm like, bro, I didn't steal nothing. I'm like, y'all got the wrong person. Prosecutors have since dropped the case, but it's one of many examples of black men being misidentified by facial recognition software, which allows police to search more than 117 million faces. I'm asking him, like, how was my face even brought up? And that's when he told me, like, your face, they put you in a lineup. 
the face recognition said it was you. These systems, they feed in, they have training data that are labeled, and the training data does not depend on who commits a crime. It depends on who was arrested for committing a crime. And obviously that's going to be biased. AI first started in the 1950s when computer scientists at Dartmouth College developed the concept of thinking machines. Since then, these systems have been developed by almost exclusively white men in tech, engineering, and computer science who haven't given much thought to how AI might lead to discrimination. I think it's sort of emblematic of all of these tech companies that those kinds of questions were never on the table. Uh, they never thought about, you know, uh, you know, how do we design the system in a way that doesn't replicate bias against women in the hiring process, against, you know, Latinx, against African-Americans, for example. Many argue the only way to fix it now is to make sure there's more diversity among the people continuing to develop and operate these systems. I think there's a recognition now that you simply need that greater diversity of people around the table. And we're probably not there completely, but I do think now there is at least a recognition that that kind of environment is the one that we'll need moving forward. In March, more than a thousand AI leaders and researchers signed an open letter warning about AI's, quote, profound risks to society and humanity. The federal government is also looking into the issue of biased or deceptive AI tools. Well, coming up, the lasting legacy of Kevin Samuels. Love him or hate him, his influence is still massive, even one year after his death. We'll take a look at how his controversial views on black relationships are still impacting the culture. Hey there, ever thought about what makes your heart beat a little faster? Oh, you mean like when you discover a new track that just speaks to you? Yeah, or finding a movie that you can't stop thinking about? Well, get ready to feel that excitement all over again because Amazon Prime is here to take your entertainment and shopping experience to the next level. Absolutely. Prime isn't just about getting your packages quicker. It's about diving into a world of endless possibilities, from the latest releases to exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. And don't even get me started on the music. Prime offers concert specials that will transport you right to the front room. It's like being at the hottest gigs without leaving your living room. I use Prime to tap in with some of my favorite artists' live shows from any and every genre of music. Trust me, Prime is a game changer. It's like having a personalized superstore and entertainment hub right at your fingertips. So why wait? Head over to Amazon.com forward slash Prime and start experiencing entertainment like never before. I really just wanted some advice. I love your. Yeah, stuff. I'm giving you. I'm giving you advice, but you're not taking it. The um, advice is, ma'am, ma'am, you're average looking at best. Welcome back. Love him or hate him. When you hear the name Kevin Samuels, some folks feel a certain kind of way. Some say he's a strong advocate for black men. Others believe he was an unapologetic misogynist, especially where black women are concerned. The self-proclaimed relationship guru caught all kinds of heat across social media with his high-value man messaging. Well, one year after his death, his legacy is still the topic of conversation. I don't understand why you young ladies expect to be stay-at-home wives when you're just average. So if I wanted a high-value man, what do I do? Be reincarnated. Self-proclaimed relationship guru and viral YouTuber Kevin Samuels has died in Atlanta. 
When the 57-year-old died one year ago on May 5th, many thought this top trending news was just another internet hoax. I was doing a live stream and someone said that Kevin had passed and I thought it was a joke. And then when I hopped off, someone said, people said they were celebrating his death on social media. And I thought it was fake news. But a distressing 911 call confirmed it was real. His sudden death from an apparent heart attack shocking his legions of loyal followers. He has an irregular rhythm, I can feel it. He's, he's breathing in and out, but he has an irregular rhythm. It's probably his heart. But reaction to Samuel's death wasn't the obligatory thoughts and prayers. Many women openly celebrated, and here's why. Children can come out of whatever I do. I can be 70 years old, and as long as I'm not shooting blanks, I can make babies. You can't. 23 is not young when you have a child. You're over here breathing like a petulant teenager. The former image consultant became a cultural phenomenon by dishing out cutthroat relationship advice that many say gave a voice to black men. The rest of us do not have to suffer you. But at the same time, often attacked women, making him an incredibly polarizing person. For better, for worse, sickness and health, the rich are poor, the death do its part. Then he says shit about happiness. So I'm supposed to be miserable. No, you're supposed to be an adult. His channel became a beacon of hope for men who felt lost in their romantic lives. Kev, I loved you while you was here. I appreciate you. Thank you for playing a role in my life. You did a whole lot and you impact a lot of people. They trusted him implicitly, hanging on to his every word. The average man now had an advocate who spoke up on behalf of them. We all want to hear somebody tell us that we're okay, you know, or we all want to Man, I don't even know, man. That shit got me some type of way right now, bro. We're all just trying to be okay. But not everyone was a fan. There was tension between Samuel's dedicated fan base who viewed him as a much needed voice of reason and those who viewed him as a con man looking to profit off pain. I want you guys to understand what she just said. I raised my son right. I don't think he'd ever be involved in that situation. You mean involved with a vindictive lying woman? Samuel's main message was about high value men, basically rich guys, and the idea that most women are not good enough for them. Number one, in order to be a high value man, it starts with money. A lot of his fans weren't actually rich guys though, but working class men who felt that materialistic women have been tossing aside hardworking good guys and calling them broke. I already earned it. That's why we work from eight o'clock in the morning to two o'clock in the morning to have what we have to live this lifestyle. So why do I have to reprove myself to you. For them, Samuels was finally putting these women in their place, while also inspiring the men to become a high value man. I think something that sparked my attention was his care for black men. I think he really cared about black men, and that's a message you didn't hear that was that straightforward that I care about my brothers. Are you a virgin? No. Bye, dog. Dialogue. But for many women, Samuels represented something else misogyny, especially when it came to black women. The guys you want aren't asking you out. Get the f out my phone. You're finished. You're finished. I'm done? Yep. See, it's the age and the weight. This man was a hypocrite. I didn't find anything about him to be healing. He insulted uh, African-American women on a consistent basis. You are simply wrong about your place to speak on a woman's opinion when she looks at a man. Samuel's often tearing into women for having what he called unrealistically high standards. Why would you not give me a 10 or at least a nine? Because you're not that cute. 
Those moments often went viral and his social media audience grew to more than 3 million followers. Even after Samuel's death, his influence is still felt, sparking debates about how black women measure a high value man. Would you date a bus driver? Would you date if a bus If he owns driver? the bus. If he owns no. it. If he owns the bus. See, that's a problem. That's a problem. The standards and the criteria that we use to measure men is off. Now that the godfather of the manosphere is gone, the floodgates have opened. The work of Samuels lives on through some millennials and Gen Zers. I feel obligated to keep his legacy alive. He really inspired me to work harder. Like today, I just got myself a second job because of him. There are Kevin Samuels parodies mocking his unique, out of the box, no nonsense style. You want, you a Jada Pinkett. Right? Well, yeah, something like that. Somebody that's bringing in their own money that could match my flop. Let me explain something to you. You ain't making but $400. So you, nah, you, want, you want a Beyonce. And the Kevin Samuels effect is even being touted in a book about how his influence helped to dispel lies about the black family. A legacy viewed very differently by different people. I feel like Kevin Samuels was one of those people that, um, excuse my language here, he like and love women. And I think a lot of men love but don't love women and they don't understand the difference. But if you're not ready to, you know, protect black women or protect women that you're not attracted to, that you are not socially responsible for, like you're not really here for the freedom of black people. There's no denying Kevin Samuel's impact. He was loved by many. He definitely gave rise to a group of men who felt that their needs were not being met. He said what they wanted to say, and he made it okay for them to say it. Now, on the other hand, part of his impact is really highlighting the division between men and women and reducing relationships to their most transactional form. And I think that is something that we need to recover from. We really need to figure out new pathways moving forward so that we can work together to survive all of the other things that we're fighting against. Well, let's get into it a little more. Joining me now to discuss Kevin Samuel's impact are Dr. Ronald Neal of the Black Men's Empowerment YouTube channel and Ace Metaphor, motivational speaker and life coach. So I want to try to have a really balanced conversation here because the reality is that a lot of black men felt that Kevin Samuels spoke for them and in defense of them, and they're not wrong about that. But a lot of black women felt that he could also be a very insulting misogynist and disrespectful, and they're not wrong about that either. So Ace, I want to start with you. What do you think the impact of Kevin Samuels is a year after his passing? I'm glad you addressed that there was a, a voice for men because it, it is a pocket of men that felt like that their concerns and their needs wasn't addressed when it comes to the motivational or dating space. I think what happens though is People can recognize that there's validity in arguments, um, but there were a side of a pocket of people, especially women, that felt offended by the way in which the message was delivered. When you talk about misogyny or when you talk about the harsh words that were used, that's something that we still have to address. Yeah, uh, Dr. Neal, I would love your, your response to that. Why do you think that his message resonated so strongly with some black men and specifically in a lot of cases with working class black men who weren't even necessarily the high earners that he talked about, but who really felt that he was defending them? You know, for the last several decades, we've listened to the grievances, uh, the concerns, 
uh, of black women. We've heard all sorts of things about black men in terms of us um, not, you know, uh, being up to snuff as fathers, as husbands, uh, as boyfriends. And there was never a counter to that. No one was able to, in a very, very public way, um, speak to those issues. And so someone like Kevin Samuels gave voice to um, the silence that Black men have had to endure for decades. To be honest with you, we don't really value Black men who are among the working class. You know, we don't value the truck drivers. We don't value the, the carpenters or the plumbers. We don't value the men who work in waste management. Um, they are disparaged. Um, they're looked down upon. And, uh, and Kevin Samuels was someone who, who did value them, and uh, he gave them a voice. And I, I understand um, the need to uplift black men. And as someone who's married to a black man and who's raising a black boy, um, I think that's a beautiful and fantastic thing. But a lot of people felt that he was often uplifting black men by, by disparaging black women. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna read you um, one quote from him. Quote, the sooner you ladies learn there's nothing special about you until we decide it's special, the better off you'll be. So do you understand why some people felt that he was uplifting black men at the expense of black women? Kevin Samuel was very provocative. You know, much of what he did was for shock value. And yes, it did come off in many respects as, um, as, as insulting uh, to others. But I don't think that the intent was to uplift black men at the expense of, of black women. I think that, you know, to a certain degree, he may have gone too far and what have you, and how he communicated his ideas. Um, but the point was to get, you know, to get attention. You say he may have been uh, a little disrespectful. He, it, it was. I mean, it, it wasn't, it's not May. When you have someone that's seeking help, they're calling into your show, and you're saying they're built like a linebacker. That was disrespectful. And, and if you're saying it's shock value to get attention at whose expense to so to answer her question it was at the expense of black women that you're getting this shock value so i mean there are multiple things that be, can be true to your point it could be true that he gave a voice to the working class black man but also can be true that he gave a voice to be weaponized to other men that didn't fit the working class black man. So now you have other men that are empowered that may not be most qualified, uh, qualified that may not be even in a pocket of realm of the men that he's discussing that now uses his talking points as a way to weaponize again towards black women. So it, it, it was a dangerous rhetoric. These women who he talked to over the course of two years, they had their ideas of what they considered an ideal man and what they quote unquote qualified for. And Kevin simply gave what he considered black men's or the preferences, the particular preferences of these men whom we called high value, these high status men by talking about weight. I agree that there was some uh, insensitivity that was there and he did it uh, comedically to get attention. I do uh, take issue with the, with the idea that somehow or another he was dangerous or that he was dangerous rhetoric or, or dangerous to the degree that it would jeopardize or, or put black women's lives at stake or anything like that. They were having a conversation. I don't see how his, his messaging or his ideas in any way uh, put black women in harm in relationship to black men. Now, I think that's dangerous right there. 
words have power, we do know that, and I think empowering misogyny, and specifically misogynoir, can in fact, at some point, become dangerous to people. So I don't think that that's a point that uh, was said lightly, and I don't think it should be taken lightly. Um, Ace, before we wrap this conversation up, I, I do wanna ask you, what do you think healthy advocacy looks like when it comes to relationships between black men and black women? Messages that can be interpreted as healthy can be delivered with care. And when you deliver a message with comedy that's disparaging, when that person is on live and they can see other people comment, the whole community, your YouTube community, in the comment section, um, calling them ugly and not cute, average as best, and they can see those comments, that can be damaging. I do not feel like, personally, that his messages all across the board were unhealthy. There were moments and probably large percentages of messages that were delivered with care and um, that were insightful. But healthy is just care. It's consideration and it's responsibility when you deliver messages. And we're gonna have to leave it at that. I uh, really appreciate your perspectives on this, Dr. Neil, Ace Metaphor. We appreciate you being here and sharing your opinions on this as we reflect on Kevin Samuel's legacy. When we come back, it's known as one of the biggest nights in fashion. I'm talking about the Met Gala in New York City, and our own Kennedy Rue brings us the glam from the ivory carpet. Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba -da -ba -ba -ba. Welcome back. It's one of the biggest nights in the fashion world, the Met Gala. Every year we get to see the stars in their high-end get-ups and Kennedy Rue was on the ivory carpet where it looks like everyone showed up and showed out. Hey, Kennedy. Yes, Mara, the looks were on point and the Met Gala continues to trend because of the hip-hop influence on fashion and the black designers getting some shine. Talk about holding court and being fashionably late. The king and queen of the ivory carpet and noticeably pregnant Rihanna rocked a voluminous white Valentino with a train that took five handlers to manage. By her side, ASAP Rocky, who shook things up in a Stuart Tartan Gucci great kilt. They weren't the only revolutionaries and newsmakers making a Met Gala pit stop. Serena decked out in pearls and also bearing that baby bump confirmed that she's expecting her second child. Brittany, how do you feel tonight? WNBA champ Brittany Griner and her wife Sherelle Griner made their first carpet appearance since Brittany was released from Russia earlier this year. While the night was to honor legendary and controversial designer Karl Lagerfeld, black designers like Sergio Hudson was also a major part of the night's conversation. I did my first Met Gala with him. We're back again. And I mean, this dress is custom, beauty made. I mean, I'm just so happy to be wearing this. It's important for us to support each other and be recognized on such an iconic carpet as the Met Ball. Happy, proud, and representing black designers and one standout on the carpet, Diddy, who alongside Carisha gave more detail about his own reimagined fashion oldie, but goodie. Yeah, Sean John is back. You know what I'm saying? Carisha looks stunning, beautiful, 
And we just out here to enjoy ourselves in the return of Sean John and the Met Gala, Carl Lagerfeld. And this is an ode to Andre Leon Talley, my brother that we lost, you know what I'm saying? He always did the capes and everything. So we out here giving our best fashion foot forward on our black excellence, and we just love y'all. You know what it is? There is reason they wanted me. Why me? Charlotte, but there are worse fates than marrying the King of England. From fashion royalty to the televised version of Court, as Queen Charlotte, a Bridgerton story is now streaming. It is time we were united as a society. This installment of the Shondaland franchise focuses on the rise of Charlotte to become queen and racially shaking things up by falling in love and marrying King George III. Roles played by India Amatefio and Corey Milchrist. The union of George and Charlotte, which is uh, an interracial marriage, um, which in doing so brings a segregated society in, into one union. There is a deep love there, that there is a dedication there. A love story that Golda Rochevel, who plays a matured version of England's reimagined black queen. I think it's putting a face to the possibility. Yeah. You know, putting a face to the possibility that we can all strive to be uh, people who can stand in their own skin. And it isn't just the king and queen that get a throwback. The iconic Lady Danbury storyline is told through the eyes of a 29-year-old, Arsema Thomas, who told us she didn't realize the shoes she was stepping into. I watched the show, and then I realized who I was playing, and then things got very real, because she is so strong. Pharrell was keeping the crowd pumping at the Something in the Water Festival, which dominated the Virginia Beach shoreline. And it wasn't just Williams. He brought out his friends, including Busta Rhymes, who shared the stage with Diddy. Fans continued to dance into the night with all kinds of performances. Coming up next, King Charles is finally getting his crown. But not everyone is celebrating, especially black people in the UK and beyond. And there's good reason they're not fans. That's coming up. Who needs an alarm in the morning? When McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles. And a breakfast cutoff. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome back. It's coronation time. After waiting for decades, King Charles III is finally getting his crown. That means wall-to-wall -wall coverage of the coronation everywhere you turn. But for many black people in the UK, the Commonwealth, and the African diaspora, King Charles's coronation gets a major side eye, as it's a reminder of the intensely racist history of the British monarchy, including their massive role in the transatlantic slave trade, a legacy which still lingers today. While King Charles is making history, a lot of black people around the world are reflecting on it. For some, the British monarchy represents an ugly past. It was the largest empire that ever existed. It included 24% of the world's population. The majority of the subjects were black and brown, and you still have that hangover today. At the height of its oppression, the British Empire had nearly 100 colonies, governing millions after invading nearly 90% of the countries on Earth. When it comes to the colonial era, Britain shitted on everybody. Whereas certain countries was going around colonizing other countries, Britain say 
that. We want the whole continent of Africa. If the countries were people, Britain would not be a nice person. If you run into Britain, they're gonna debo your shit. The word colonization makes it sound too nice. We're talking about genocide. We're talking about slavery. We're talking about the erasure of, of millions of people. I mean, I once said on TV that the British Empire was worse than the Nazis, and this caused like furore. But it's not even close. The British Empire, the estimates are anywhere between 100 and 200 million dead because of the British Empire. And then there was the monarchy's massive influence on the slave trade. Britain was the premier slave trading nation in the 19th century. It enslaved the most people that looked like us in the world. In order for slavery to happen in the first place in England, it had to be granted uh, by the Crown, and they made an untold sum of money. You think about Britain prior to its involvement in slavery is really a quite poor, not very significant country. Uh, Britain becoming involved in slavery is what transforms the whole entire economy. Today, the royal family is worth an estimated $28 billion, in large part because of the money made from enslaving and stealing. And did we mention they don't pay any inheritance taxes? The wealth literally from slavery just the best not it hasn't been taxed at all. That racism didn't disappear with slavery. When the British press found out Prince Harry was dating Meghan Markle, the Daily Mail called her, quote, straight out of Compton. And who can forget the couple telling Oprah someone in the royal family was worried about the color of their baby. And also concerns and conversations about how dark his skin might be when he's born. So hold up, hold up. There's Stop several right now. There are several conversations. There's a about conversation it. with you. With Harry. About how dark your baby is going to be? Potentially, and what that would mean or look like. Ooh. Recently, one of the Queen's longtime aides was forced to step down after making racist comments during a reception at Buckingham Palace. She said, what's your nationality? And I said, lady, I was born here, I'm British. I was thinking that would be the end of it. No. No, where are you really from? Still, the Queen was beloved in much of the world at the time of her death. And Harry and Meghan's wedding was watched by nearly 30 million people with thousands of Brits lining the streets to get a glimpse of the new black princess, or duchess, with Charles personally walking her down the aisle. The royal family has started speaking out about the past. The appalling atrocity of slavery forever stains our history. But some are asking for a lot more than that. There are some institutions that cannot be redeemed. If you want an anti-racist future, the royal family has no place in it. There's nothing you can do. You can't reform it, you can't change it. The only thing the royal family can do if it's serious about atoning is to abolish itself and turn over its wealth to the people who deserve it. And we should also note that Charles's coronation is more inclusive than previous ones. Well, that does it for us. Please stay connected with us on Facebook, Twitter, Revolt on YouTube, our Revolt Black News podcast, and download the Revolt app. Until next time, good night, everyone.
If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. Bada ba ba ba. At participating McDonald's.